Over the next five minutes, Minute Biographies will look at the evidence presented against Lee Harvey Oswald by the Warren Commission in 1964 that has only been strengthened in the years since. The evidence concerns two questions. Did Oswald fire the shots that hit and killed President Kennedy? And if so, did he act alone or as part of a conspiracy? This time on Hijacking History, we look at the first of these two questions. Did Oswald fire the fatal shots? After the break. In this little episode, I summarize once over lightly the evidence I believe to be most compelling against Oswald. Nothing here is new, but it will be new for many listeners. Simply put, most Americans have no living memory of November 22, 1963, and it might just as well be the Lincoln assassination or Pearl Harbor to them, something from the history books. This majority contains many who frankly don't care if JFK was or was not killed as a result of a conspiracy, and many others who have a passing interest but not the time to look into it. This brief episode is for them, less than 10 minutes on a morning commute to get the skinny on an important event in our culture and our history. Not a bad investment. The question, did Oswald fire the fatal shots, is the easiest question of the two to answer. Both of the two official inquiries into the assassination agreed that the bullets that hit the president and Texas Governor John Connolly were fired from above and behind the president, and fired by Oswald, firing from the northeast corners of the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository. Indeed, even the vast majority of conspiracy believers agree that Oswald did it. The conspiracy buffs just add that they think he had help. The evidence against Oswald was overwhelming most of it collected during the weekend following the assassination. Oswald's palm print was collected from the rifle, a fresh print, and fresh prints of his were lifted off of the boxes arrayed around the sniper's perch. The gun was traced to a mail order signed by A.H. Hiddell, the same assumed name on a fake ID found on Oswald's person at the time of his arrest. Photographs of Oswald holding the rifle were taken the previous April by his wife, Marina. The photographs also showed him holding a pistol whose shells were identified as coming, to the exclusion of all others, from the gun used to kill Officer J.D. Tippett minutes after the assassination. Marina testified that she saw him frequently practicing with the rifle and its bolt action. The bullet fragments in the presidential limousine and the whole bullet found on a stretcher at Parkland Hospital were tested and identified as coming from Oswald's rifle to the exclusion of all others. In addition, we know that Oswald had stored the rifle under a blanket in the garage of the home of Mrs. Ruth Payne, with whom Marina was living. The Oswalds were separated. The night before the assassination, a Thursday, Oswald visited the Payne home, even though he had never done so previously on any day but Fridays, when his co-worker, Buell Frazier, who lived nearby, 
could drive him to Mrs. Payne's for the weekend. Oswald did not know how to drive. Oswald told Fraser that he was going home just for one night. He would need a ride back to the book depository for his Friday shift in order to collect curtain rods for his rooming house. But Oswald's room already had curtain rods. Moreover, the next morning, Oswald got into the car with a makeshift brown bag that surprised Fraser. Curtain rods, Oswald reminded him when he asked about it. But Oswald had not brought up the subject of curtain rods to Marina or Ruth Payne on Thursday night. The Payne home did not have spare curtain rods, and no curtain rods were found at the book depository after the assassination. When Fraser parked his car at the depository building, although the affable Fraser and Oswald usually walked together into the building each morning, this time Oswald walked quickly ahead of him in a departure from routine. Within hours of the assassination, Marina noticed that the blanket that had covered the rifle was still in the garage, but when the police arrived and she pointed them to it, no rifle was found beneath it. Marina reported that that was when her heart sank. She knew that Oswald had committed the crime. Mrs. Payne did not know the rifle was stored in her garage, but did recall that the garage light was left on the previous night, suggesting that Oswald had been inside. When the shooting took place, Oswald was spotted at the sixth floor window by a witness, Howard Brennan. Brennan's sighting formed the basis of an all-points bulletin regarding the description of the shooter minutes after the assassination, one that matched the description of Oswald perfectly. Oswald's answers to police questions later that day betrayed a consciousness of guilt. Oswald had no alibi for the half hour between noon and the shooting at 12.30 p.m. He lied to the police, claiming that he was eating lunch with a co-worker, Junior Jarman. But Jarman later denied that he had eaten with Oswald, and Jarman had witnesses who could prove that he spent most of that time with them on the fifth floor. The last person to see Oswald before the shooting, about 45 minutes before the assassination, spotted him on the sixth floor. Within 82 seconds of the last shot, a motorcycle patrolman, Marion Baker, accompanied by the building manager, Roy Truly, ran across the first floor of the book depository to steps on the side of the building leading to the higher floors and ascended to the second floor. At that moment, Baker saw a man walking quickly in a direction away from him through the window of a kitchen door. Demanding that the man stop and return, Baker asked Truly if the man worked in the building. Truly confirmed that he did, and Baker, in his mad dash to get to the upper floor, let him go. The man was Lee Harvey Oswald. The gunman on the sixth floor using a rifle owned by Oswald, in a setting complete with a brown bag matching the description of the bag carried by Oswald that morning, had done nothing to hide the evidence at the scene, except for one thing. The rifle was wedged between boxes that were found midway between the sixth floor window and the stairs leading down to the kitchen. Numerous trials of the amount of time required to walk across the sixth floor and down the stairs to the kitchen area, 
pausing only to hide the rifle, and without getting winded, put the timing exactly in the vicinity of Baker's timeline between the shooting and his spotting of Oswald. Oswald, perhaps the book depository employee most interested in politics, was the only one to leave the scene of this crime of the century, and he left it immediately. Apparently, he was the only person uninterested in what had happened to the president or what his condition was. But then he showed equal indifference in discussing the visit of the president with Ruth Payne on Thursday. After leaving the book depository building, he boarded a bus with a wild look on his face, according to an acquaintance of Oswald, who just happened to be on the bus. When the bus got stuck in traffic, Oswald asked for a transfer, got off the bus, and hailed a cab, something he had never done before in his life. Upon his return to his boarding house, Oswald ran in and ran out just as quickly, pausing only to don a jacket on that warm afternoon and retrieve his pistol, which he stuck behind his waistband concealed by the jacket. More than half a dozen witnesses subsequently saw patrolman J.D. Tippett stop Oswald, identifying him as the man who shot Tippett, the ultimate act demonstrating flight and consciousness of guilt. Within minutes, he ran into a local theater and was arrested there with his pistol and his fake ID tying him to the rifle. There is much more evidence implicating Oswald, and much more evidence reinforcing the examples just discussed. For example, some claim Marina's photos of Oswald and his guns were doctored. Why she would implicate herself by admitting she took the photos is never explained. Also, one of the pictures was signed on the back by Oswald, making a post-assassination alteration impossible. This evidence is the kind that speaks for itself, unlike the arguments that advance theories that if something could have occurred, that it must have occurred. For example, the fingerprint and firearm evidence could have been a frame-up, but since there is no evidence that there was an actual frame-up, Such a claim should weigh nothing in the balance. When Oswald was interrogated by Dallas police, and when he met with Marina, he did not scream that his rights were outrageously being violated or that an outrageous accusation had been leveled against him. Most people of normal equilibrium would have gone ballistic, as they say, and Oswald was more hyperkinetic than most people. Yet he usually acted calmly, playing the cat and the mouse and reassuring Marina that the police were treating him well. In front of reporters, he acted more belligerent, but with police, he acted with amazing calm. On the question of the president's assassination, posed by Marina, Oswald had to face someone familiar with his lies, and they both knew familiar with his propensity to kill, based on the Walker shooting of the previous April. That she saw his guilt in his eyes on this question would not hold up as evidence in court, but it is thoroughly consistent with the mountain of evidence that would have been admissible and overwhelming.